Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome once again to the show made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. On this episode, well, we've got the company of an Australian netball legend turned respected commentator, motivational speaker, TV presenter, coach and a heck of a lot more. And Sergeant represented Australia for more than a decade, captaining her country for six years and winning two world championships. A trailblazer for her sport and was the first netballer elevated to legend status in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame and continues to inspire a number of young women with the number of different hats she wears. And Sergeant, great pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Oh, thank you. Now, it's quite uh, quite the resume, isn't it, to be honest? Exhausting listening to you, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know whether you embellished it or not. I, I know I've been a long-time servant of the game and passionate about the game, so I guess I should count myself really lucky to still have the passion and the energy and the commitment, you know, to keep working within the sport. And I've been really fortunate to have varied roles, and I'm thankful for that. And, you know, when you say those things, I sometimes think, gosh, I should really um, step back soon, but I'm not quite ready. <laughs> No, 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 of course you shouldn't. And and look, I didn't embellish far from it. In fact, if anything, I probably understated it because that legend status in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, you know, I've always, and I've always found it good to have legend in writing too. You know, if anyone questions it, you can just say there, it's officially documented. I was so embarrassed that night, you know, and you're the last award of the night, so I didn't have a drink. And I really just wanted to curl under the table. But to your point, um, we do, hey, Ledge, how are you going? Hey, mate, hey, Ledge, all the time. And I think we overuse the term colloquially out of mateship, and it really devalues the term. And I don't mean with respect to me, but I was lucky enough to present Netball Australia's latest elevation from the Hall of Fame, from the Netball Hall of Fame to legend, uh, Jill McIntosh, at the recent Australian um, Netball Award. And when you listen to the, the body of work and the contribution, and I think I said in presenting it, Tamaka, you know, we toss around ledge so casually and we need to stop it because this is a really special moment. It, it, so it's not in respect to me, but when I am sitting there listening to others or presenting one, I really resonate how important it is. So to your point, when I was told that was happening in the Sport Australia. I was so emb- I rang the um, CEO of Netball Australia at the time, Kate Palmer, and said, "Look, I've got something to tell you, and I'm just mortified." And she was really <laughs> gracious about it because I was rattling off all these other names, you know, that should be there. And she she thought it was fabulous, but I died a thousand deaths. And then when Netball elevated me within the Netball ones to legend, Joyce Brown, of course, deservedly being the first, and then Margaret Putris. I thought something was up on that night. My husband was acting weird. I walked into to, um, this beautiful uh, venue and saw my niece and a couple of close friends and thought, oh no, what's going mm, on? Yep. And I remember standing, Kath, was in, Kath Cox was emceeing at the time, I remember standing next to her, she looked nervous and uncomfortable, she'd actually stopped talking to me a bit that night, I thought, that's weird, and she went through you know, the banter of what I'd done, and they had um, put up on the big screen, my daughter lives in LA, as happened for the Sport Australia legend, they put up a message from Kendall, which of course you know, undoes me completely, and I remember in speaking and responding, I really couldn't look anywhere in in the crowd. Everybody I looked, there were people from Netball Australia's history, far more deserving than me. And I suddenly realised they weren't even looking at me. They were looking sideways and then they had walked my daughter, they'd flown her over and they walked her down the side of the stage. It's those moments when yeah. you see your family respond that you just lose it. But with <laughs> respect to everything else, I probably am embarrassed because I'm super respectful. And particularly nowadays when social media only 
he sort of, you know, talks about recent times. I, of course, am old enough to know who were the legacy in my era and who I valued. And I really think it's important that those people have a voice and are remembered. Yeah, we're going to circle back to that because I think netball does this particularly well. We'll come back to that. But when I look at your resume, Anne, that I mentioned earlier, I mean, what, what sort of person is the sort who seemingly throws themselves into everything full of vigor like this, whether it be playing, coaching, speaking, presenting, guiding, selecting, organizing, planning, motivating, the list goes on. (laughs) And I saw one of your mottos is, there is no end point to success. So you appear to be clearly living by that. Yeah, and I stole that. You know, let's get that on the table. That's a really nice story. I don't want to go there straight up. I stole that expression from Joyce Brown. But I think I'm a lucky person. I'm lucky. I mean, I studied education at uni. Actually, I'm the sort of person that wanted to see what I could achieve. So I wanted to get into medicine. I got into medicine. I pulled out to do education because I knew that the balance of trying to maintain at uni an Australian uniform as well as uni studies and and then teaching as well as playing was much better fit. So I had the real benefit of having that education, coaching, teacher background. Was captain at school, so I got bits and pieces of being able to speak and present. I guess those things just all came together. And whilst I get nervous doing it, I do love the process of doing it. So it was kind of a lucky fit playing for Australia, being in a teaching environment where I was always reminded of kids that were aspiring to play, you know, club, rep, state, being around what they needed. It sort of gave me a good balance. And that's what started me on thinking, gee, we need to be running coaching clinics for kids so they see the flesh of this Australian player and they're around them and they, they talk to them and they ask questions and you're really giving them the purest form of skill development. I guess those things kind of all came together. And the rest of it was just, I don't know, just lucky, right place, right time. I mean, I captained Australia in an era where there was the emerging interest in women's sport. So as captain, I was lucky to get, you know, places on the seven sports show or the nine sports show or radio interviews or go into the boardrooms with our captain and uh, our coach and the CEO to help present for sponsorship. So I got pieces of that, which I loved doing because I knew how important it was. And I, I remember taking every single opportunity I I could because it showcased the sport and it reminded people of the history of the sport and what, what you know, we were world champions time after time, but it was a little known fact. So I guess my era allowed those things for me and at a time when media started to get involved, it then opened the doors, you know, for commentary and other things. So I guess it was a lucky mix of what I was interested in, what I was half good at, giving me the platform for more opportunities. And and I think we need a stock take almost as to where things sit right now. So what keeps you busy right now? Sitting my desk. So we've just had my daughter's wedding. <laughs> There's a pile of stuff over there to decide. Congrats. Right in front of me is all the planning for Anzajit Netball Clinic. That's, you know, all the paperwork of venues and councils and blah, 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 coach bookings. We have a week-long program coming up, our super summer camp. So I'm just nailing deliveries and chasing those things and coaching staff and doing programming in one pile. Over to my right is Diamond's work, which never stops. So we've had meetings as of last week. Jason Rankovich, the Diamond's coach, is planning uh, training and, and, and work for her squad that will be going playing in the Four Nations series and there's a whole range of other piles around me so it, it doesn't really stop I think an email just came in from Fox Sports which is really nice to have you know still have that interest so I kind of fall into categories of running coaching events for children running before school programs which yep. we do two to three mornings a week all through school term diamond selection commentary work you know and the odd stuff that just lands in another random pile that I sift through when I can it's absolutely incredible to be honest the work ethic and, and what you're doing and what you have done I mean I wanted to ask does it mean that you're the sort and if you don't mind me probing here a tad that's 
never satisfied? And I'm assuming the answer is no. And I, I mean, is that necessarily a good thing? I mean, how do you find that wrestle between, you know, just chasing the next thing and perhaps thinking, oh, look, I'm I'm satisfied with what I've done. I'm, I'm going to take it back a peg or two. Well, I think age plays into that. You know, as I said, our daughter lives uh, overseas in LA. So I'm conscious at this stage of our lives, Warwick and I, of wanting to be able to get across to her more or being flexible to do that. So that plays on my mind. So it's not about I have to probe and have to find the next thing. For me, it's more about the thing I'm doing at the moment, am I doing it really well? And I, am I really putting everything into it? I say that, but but I also crave sleeping in and yeah. <laughs> I crave yeah. a bit of summer and I, I do like to do nothing. I'm happy to lie in the lounge and watch a TV. But for me, it's not about chasing the next thing anymore. It's about the things I'm committed to, doing them really, really well. And I'm past the, how can I exploit that? What else can I do with that? I just want to do my stuff really well at the moment. Yeah, you care about it, which is which yeah. is hugely admirable. So uh, with that in mind, I mean, I ask you this question also acknowledging the complexities that you and the difficulties you would find in providing an answer to this, given the hats that you wear, and you mentioned the diamonds before. But how did you view the long and, you know, the, the drawn-out pay dispute between the players and Netball Australia over the paying conditions? It got messy towards the end, as they as they often do in these situations, but, but did it sound Sad news, I guess, ultimately a fan of the game. Absolutely sad and heartbreaking. I mean, we couldn't even announce the Australian team to go to World Championship in the middle of things like that. So we were literally sitting in a room, had it all mapped out, having worked on it for months, nailed the team, were really happy, and then we're told, no, we can't go there yet. So it's been a long 12 months of that kind of environment. And as you say, as a national selector, I am contracted to Netball Australia. So that's the hat I have to wear in terms of I, I can't have a public comment on it. It would be wrong of me to have a public comment. My public comment would be absolutely saddened to watch two elements of my game go head to head so hard. Now, having said that, what I am, I don't know all the nitty gritties, but I am aware that a lot of progress has been made across the 12 months, but not fast enough for some mm. and others fighting their situation. And as you say, it, it does get ugly. I just was so heartbroken to see those so invested and loving our sport torn to pieces in the process. I don't like that from both sides of the equation. So I found it really hard. I'm not the only one. I know so many wanted at a time when we've been so successful this year, continued to be so successful at so many levels that we couldn't get our head up to exploit that and enjoy that success because there was the undercurrent. And I understand stand for the players it's important to move forward on conditions and to keep you know elevating their situation but I also know the hard work that goes in behind the scenes so Mm. I'm slap bang in the middle of loving both sides of the equation but being absolutely saddened and when I think about I'm going to say this about Stacey Marankovic's reign as Australian coach gee she's had a lot to continue with dignity in the midst of things like this. Again, contracted Netball Australia, but with an absolute passion and a great connection to her players. And the track record stands for itself. So I guess she would be in the same position. You don't have a voice. You're sad and watching it. You have a loyalty to both sides. You have a passion for the game. And that just gets eroded for the time being in the middle of it. And then you build yourself up and you go again. So it's been a very sad time for those of us that are so invested. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, Ann Sargent's incredible netball life had a beginning and we're going to revisit it after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Former Diamonds captain, Sport Australia Hall of Fame legend, Anne Sargent is our guest today. So Anne, where was home as a kid, as a little girl? Oh, I grew up in Forestville, um, so my family are from St George uh, in Sydney, but they moved across to Forestville, a leafy green area, because my mum um, had a bit of asthma, and that placed me in a very good sporting environment. <laughs> placed me in the hub of Manly Warringah, so as a child I grew up in that area, um, since being married some 43 years next week, we've lived on the northern beaches end of the Manly Ringa Peninsula. Uh, but growing up as a kid, just so much access to sport. I'm an only child, so they were happy to run me around everywhere and anywhere yep. if I was, you know, invested and, and loving it and working hard at it. So a really wonderful upbringing in, in that area. Now, before we get to netball, I know there was a bit of tennis, and I really want to talk to you about this. There was a bit of fizzy, the leg and the oh, spray tans yeah, as well on the hair. Oh, tell me. Oh, God, I cringe when I think of it. I'm I loved it, but, you know, it was the era of absolute bray tan on your leg. Who had the best new colour in a leotard? Who had their hair piled up the top? Bit of gold thread, heaps of makeup. It's kind of ridiculous when I think about it. But I did really love it, and so I sort of got to, like, champion girl phase in that. Yeah, participated in Bajocchi Peterson at, yeah. within a team context and an individual. I can't believe you're aware of that. Yes, I am. I'm fascinated by that stuff, to be honest. I had to... I had to uh, do a bit of a deep dive as to what it involved. How, so how old were you when you did that? As a young teenager, not a middle to older teacher, yeah. teenager. But you know, when I think about it, it had a discipline about it. It was quite precise in the calisthenic it involved. You know, it had it had different categories to it. There was like a breathing relaxation category. There was one that was really graceful. There was one you were literally walking around the room. I guess like a like an etiquette deportment kind of thing at the time, which I'd almost forgotten about since you raised it. Um, but yeah, I did do that for years. I did I did tennis, I did athletics, I did that, obviously the netball, a whole range of things. I guess, and what is your, as we sit here now, what is your earliest or your first netball memory? Like, how did your relationship with the sport that would become your life, you know, actually first start? Oh, up in Forestville, up on Starkey Street on grass courts, my mama's coach, walking from school or being picked up by parents and going up and having an hour, hour and a half, throwing the ball around and learning the game with, um, with friends and school and my mum who was was a great coach because she wasn't imposing she didn't sort of it wasn't dictatorial it was just a really nice environment she ended up spending most of her life contributing at club and at district representative level as an administrator her idea always to be putting back into the sport and she ended up managing teams I ended up coaching so we called her Apple Uh, she's passed away of course but her nickname was Apple because she did have a really sharp brain like a computer and she's perfect in that managerial you know doing all the work for you while you were the shiny show ponies out but very much the early days were up in Forestville, um, Starkey Street, and then the Saturday playing in, of course, the traditional box pleat uniforms with the white tassel belt. So you would flick that tassel and braid that tassel while the ball was down the other end. But just just loved it. I was a centre, actually, as a junior. Very tall, lanky centre, but fast enough. So my, my first years were as a centre. And then, you know, somebody said, try out for reps. So did that and got in and just just wonderful memories. The first the first coach I had in a Manly Ringer rep team, Jeanette Melville, was just delightful. Had a real love for the players and the game. Made everything we did just really 
really enjoyable and fun. Um, I remember we asked her, could we change? We went through a lot of stuff undefeated, that little team, as um, 11-year-olds. And I remember we asked her at the end of one carnival, could we please change places and just play out of position? And she said, um, well, you can as long as you play really hard and with respect for the opposing team, not so that they don't think it's a muck around and you mm. dismiss them. We said, sure. So we did. And my best friend and I switched. So I went to goal attack. She went to centre. The next year we trialled for reps as juniors. We trialled for both positions and that started, thankfully. Yeah, right. Isn't that interesting? Started my journey as a goal shooter because yeah. I think it was pretty short-lived as a centre. Yeah, but what might, I mean, what might have been, and these are the sliding yeah. doors moments, aren't they? Quite amazing. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you called your mum Apple. Didn't you also call her fast forward? And wasn't the old man rewind? You've been doing your research. Yeah, my dad was super laid back. I've, I've got his body shape, you know, tall and lanky. And mum was always really sharp and, you know, doing all the detail. And dad was, you know, cruising along a step behind. Yep, yep. And no matter what game I played, dad would say I was brilliant. And mum would say, oh, you could have just... <laughs> you could have just tweaked that bit there. Yeah. But yeah, in life, that's how they were. Dad would be, you know, sitting listening to the races or playing golf in a slow motion fashion. And mum was, you know, the doer. And that blend made them a really great um, couple. And what I love about it is, like you were mentioning that, you know, they drove you here, there and everywhere as, a, as, a, as an only child. So the three of you, and I love this, you'd be packing the car every other weekend, wouldn't you, for sport-based road trips? You must have done some crazy Ks as your netball career sort of blossomed. Uh, the three yeah. of you would jump in. Yeah, well, when you're a kid, you're playing and you're playing reps, you play the carnival circuit. So, you know, my club team of a Saturday would be a forest netball. And then I was playing as a junior rep for Manly Ringer. So the, the rep season gives you maybe, say, four to six carnivals, which would be on a Sunday, in the lead up to state championship weekend, which was three days of state championship work. So you might be playing a Newcastle carnival. You might be playing Illawarra. So here's where the fun kicked in. My parents would always put two, three kids in the car. Some kids' parents can't get to those things. They've got other children they've got other commitments so we'd always pack them in our car we, we didn't have a lot of money but we'd go up and stay in a funny little motel and I remember us bouncing on beds as kids and being told go to sleep you've got to play the carnival the next day <laughs> and then coming home you know in the dark from the carnival with grazed knees and falling asleep and being unloaded at the other end the best days absolutely the best days. Sometimes we just get up at the crack of dawn. Mum would give me eggs and bacon or a bit of steak at some ungodly hour. Couldn't get it down. Of course, nowadays you wouldn't do it. And we'd get in the car and you'd play all day and you'd come home exhausted and turn up for school the next day. Best life. Yeah, these are the things we hang on to as kids. There's no doubt about yeah. it. So, uh, and club netball in the 70s and 80s, Manly, Warringah well, was your home, as you say. Six straight titles in the 80s, I think. So, your revolution. Uh, when did you think you could actually make something of the game? And when I say make something, I I mean, play for Australia. Was there a moment? Was there a game? Was there a season? How did that sort of manifest? No, no, no. Well, I tried for ages to make the New South Wales Open team. I made an underage team for New South Wales, and and then I was put out of that team. So this is a sad story, but it's a true story. So in those days, you had to hold a current theory umpire's pass to play for New South Wales, and I had sat for that exam, and I had like a 99% pass. Nailed it, not a problem. But in like club admin people, it hadn't gone through. It hadn't been received. New South Wales didn't have it. So my Myself and an open player on my way to training got a phone call um, to say that I've been put out of the team. And I remember 
mum, on this that particular day, mum had taken a day of school actually, and we were going into the city to be fitted for it. The state blazer it was, you know, old school tailor days. And I'm, I can see it so clearly. We had flagstone stepping stones across grass from driveway to house and come out of the house. I had a day off going in to get it fitted and mum was closing the door and the phone rang. She said, oh, maybe I better get that. I said, no, let's go. She said, no, I better get it. And it was an official saying that they were very sorry, but because that ruling hadn't been met, a senior player who hadn't done hers for quite a few years and myself had to be replaced. So I, I never got to play in that. And then I struggled to make pretty hard breaking. I cried. Mm. I cried for ages, by the way. But it was heartbreaking that I couldn't crack it next year because the person that came in held that place. So I finally made the state open team after a few years of trialing and, and they would choose it from state championships and Manly was very successful and I could tell I was always around it. I just couldn't crack it. And there were great players that were in it. I finally crack it and the, that championship was played at Sutherland. Coaches Margaret Corbett, great New South Wales coach, innovative, creative, real great passion for the game. And I obviously was the under and the rookie and you in and we were playing the championship and the line of the shooting combo she was playing she mustn't have been quite happy with it I got a bit of a run got a few games what a good showing. So just really thankful to be there and basically the rookie in the line. In those days, at the end of nine, ten days of national championship, there was always a dinner held agonizing because you, you're basically playing outdoors. And when you take your shoes off after the final, you're peeling off bloody layers of feet you know, <clears throat> because you've gone to Nashville. Then you put on a dress shoe and a dress outfit to go with your team to the dinner. We were sitting in the dinner and I remember saying to a senior player, so what's this bit? And they said, oh, well, they'll be announcing the Australian team. First they announced announced reserves to the team and then they announced the national team for the upcoming tour which was a tour to England. I got named in like a reserves list and I said so what's this I mean and she, she said well if that one gets hit by a truck that one goes in and if that one gets hit you know maybe da 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 you know domino effect. I yeah. said, oh, fair enough. Didn't think anything of it. I thought wow that's just so cool. Went back home. Phone rings within the next week. Parents home. I'm still at home. I wasn't aware of who was who. I picked up the phone. Deidre Harland the national president rang and said oh and it's Deidre Harland, you know who I am? I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. She explained and um, she said, I've rung to tell you there's been a withdrawal from the team and you've been put into the team. I dropped the phone, I rang into the rumpus room to speak to my parents and they said, how do you know? And I said, oh my God, I've left a lying on the floor. Oh. <laughs> Dangling. So that, you know, so no, no, no great moment of wow. I knew I was good enough, I, I was on the verge of making it. I felt really lucky to be in the state team. I realised I was really lucky to get the break at that championship to get some court time and then what happened was Wilma Shakespeare the national coach at the time saw something in me that maybe you know others hadn't seen I was embarrassed to tell my state coach to be honest that the call-up had come because I'd kind of jumped a couple of things so that was my first tour and from that I had you know 11 years consecutive representation so Wilma Shakespeare for whatever she saw in me and I was scared to death of course, because I wasn't, hadn't been around nationals or the hope of making the Australian team. It was all new to me. So very, very fortunate, very thankful to her and scared to death um, early on, <laughs> but just, um, yeah, grew into the role. Oh, did you ever? Did you ever grow into the role? You never look back. We're with netball icon Anne Sargent, and she's with us for This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And there's much more to come with Anne right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former Australian netball captain, multiple Hall of Famer, in fact, coach and motivational speaker, Anne Sargent. So, Anne, I just wanted to discuss your playing style as a, as a shooter. I think uh, words like agile and ac- well, accurate, certainly. And you are remembered as one of the best shooters of your generation. Or Why was it so? And, and tell us about your style of play and how it developed over time. Oh, I don't know. I look at these guys that are such athletes and I wasn't, I wasn't the pure athlete. I was probably had good skill base and timing. I would think I was more graceful on court. I can't, I don't feel comfortable describing it at all, but probably more graceful, good timing. Yes, accurate. I nearly cried the other day. I was reading an article, people are going on about who the best player of all time was and which I find a ridiculous comparison because you're talking about court service and all these things Mm. and generation and opportunity. But a good friend of mine, and I hadn't realized she said it, wrote something that she said, I knew that if we got the ball into Annie's hands, we'd be right, particularly under pressure, which I thought was such a nice compliment. So maybe the preparedness to shoot under pressure would be a badge of honour. I was fast enough, but not that, you know, rocket. In fact, I laughed at the recent dinner when we were presenting um, the new legend status to Jill McIntosh. I had some footage of our team playing outdoors, of course. I think it was Singapore. And those are the days of the permapleate skirts, you know, that would flick and move around. And I was watching it. My first thought was, oh, how embarrassing in front of the current diamonds. And then as I watched it, I thought, no, the timing was really good. You know, all the skill base was beautiful. And I did this role from the top of the circle, flicked and rolled back to the post, took the ball and shot. And I remember saying to him in the speech, so glad we got to see you play, Macca, because I don't ever remember doing a role like that, but knowing me, it was probably to flick my skirt and have a bit of a fancy <laughs> move at the end of it. <laughs> Had really c- good connections with certain players. You know, Karen Smith, as a, as a goal defence, would take an intercept two-thirds away, but her eye line would be to me, and I would know no matter where I was, I'd take off to the post because I knew the ball was coming. So those intrinsic connections with players yeah. make you look good but it's about you know the connection than anything else and and just the pressure that you mentioned there and the ability to perform under it yes there would have been easy games and blowouts and then there would have been the real high stakes games and the and the incredibly tense and tight games and your position obviously carries enormous responsibility can i ask were you ever it's a strong question but were you ever scared to shoot or did you ever lose your nerve a little bit around it i mean you don't have a lot of choice mind you but did you ever waver no i don't think so i think i was always happy to go to post i used to Sadly for coaches at Coach May, I also would love to see if I could get another pass in and get it a bit closer to the post because that's kind of like threading a needle and that's sort of fun to do. But I also knew the moments when uh, let the pretty stuff go by the by, we've got to turn and shoot. Mm. I think I had a very good ethic of turn and shoot and nail it because as we talked about Courtney Bruce the other night, I was teasing her saying, um, you know, there could be tears here because we come from different tribes. And she looked nervous when I said it. And I said, well, you're a massive warrior defender and I'm a princess shooter from the dark ages. We don't just... <laughs> you know us together and she laughed but she has that uncanny moment to take she's worked for ages crafting it but knows the moment when to take an intercept that shuts down the opposing team takes their porters out of the equation and immediately inflates and inflames her team just like she can do that I think probably I had I knew the responsibility and the timing of take this shot now from here get it because that will be the moment so I don't know whether that's ego or what it is but I think it's more a sense of responsibility and that's what's great in commentary, to pick players and teams that know the moment, crunch it, to turn it, to inflame it. Mm. Um, so maybe, I think, good players and 
they all are, know those moments. I've got to ask you about a tour of Wales. I think it was said to be in the mid-80s, maybe 1985. You were captain by this stage. Uh, you led an undefeated side, and you yourself were perfect, uh, literally. I think there were three consecutive 100% shooting games. This this one's lived on, and, and for good reason. As the streak went on over there, did it take on an enormous form, as these things can do? Did, did it become almost bigger than the game for a time? And, and you probably would have disliked that very much, I'd imagine. It didn't come bigger than the game, but they were just buggers. Yeah. <laughs> in that third match, there was Vicky Wilson and Sue Kenyon. I just could have killed them because by that stage, it was the third match. Yeah. And we were playing and our coach had said, oh, yeah, good shooting and get to half time. Yeah, good shooting. They'll get to three-quarter time and now we're talking about it. I'm not wanting us to be talking about it. I'm wanting to take close shots now <laughs> or not even think about it. And the buggers kept setting me up. In the final quarter of that game, I would have passed to say to Vicky Wilson under the post. She would pass it out so they would pass it to me further away. They played around with me in that final. I could have killed all of them, but we got through it anyway. I'm proud of that. I don't mm. don't think you go out in a game to shoot for the 100%. You go out to nail the moment. And to say that, I don't think you can even translate to what the girls do now. As athletes and as shooters, they're shooting 90% under the most enormous pressure now like the defensive pressure is so much more if those girls are shooting like a 90 percent i just bow absolutely stunning the, the current breed we have the world championships and you played in three i'm fascinated by the first one in 79 with a three-way tie for the title as it was between um, obviously you and the aussies new zealand and i think trinidad and tobago so no final system i mean yeah. and this would live on a little bit as the years went on still but did your competitive urge make that hard to accept or that was just the way it was oh hard, the whole thing was was just so frustrating. I mean, the match that we played against Trinidad and Tobago, and I was a, obviously a rookie. That's my second year, so I was just praying not to be put on the court, to be honest. And I got some great matches. I got the game against England, but I remember thinking, oh, please don't let me embarrass myself or let them down. It was a really good team. Now, the day we played Trinidad, you know, it, we're in Trinidad and Tobago. It's tropical circumstances, and it dumped down. And we were stuck in, like, a concrete change room for hours. Rumour has it Trinidad were taken back to the hotel where all the teams were staying to rest. I don't know. That's the rumour. So we sat there, no food, no prep, no nothing. Then get nosed, go out and play. Now I didn't play in that game. It was an ice skating rink and it was goal for goal. And I remember Therese Kennedy, Therese Delaney, who is a manly ringer player, much, she's older than me so I revered her. She was a defender. Just go flying out for balls and your feet would go and she ended up in the push-up position most of the time when she hit the deck. So that was a heartbreaking game to lose. The team then beat New Zealand. But yes, no playoffs. Our match against England was a crucial game because you couldn't afford to mess it up, but we, we handled that one well. And then at the end of it, you're marching out, and we're actually blocked from marching out. We assumed the three teams would march out to lead the conclusion together. The Trinidad and the other, others were held back, and our captains just bolted. They ran on, and we all chased behind them to take our moment. So there was a lot of things that were quite unusual about it. I mean, as somebody who was new to it, probably didn't think of the relevant until after the event, but you can't have a world champion that ends up with a result like that. And of course, things have transitioned since then. But it was the most amazing experience for so many reasons. And so I think my mouth was tight shut and my eyes wide open for the entire <laughs> yeah. of the event. 
Jeez, the curiosity, though, and it will continue, as I say, in, in various other world championships. But in 83, you won the lot in Singapore. I think you're vice-captain by this stage. I mean, how was that uh, in such a long career? I wonder if this is the pinnacle or at least one of the pinnacles. How do you yeah, remember 83? It's my fave. I mean, yeah. I have been so fortunate. I've loved every team I've been in. I've loved every coach I've worked under. They're all different, and I love that too. But Singapore probably is more my sister-in-arms moment. And you talked about no end point to success. So I don't know how long we've got, but that I stole from Joyce Brown. When we trialled for that team, we trialled outdoors in Melbourne around Easter, I think it was. Very hot outdoor courts, probably across four days or so. It's exhausting stuff. And of course, the more it goes on, those out of contention are starting to be sitting off more and those in contention are on court more. But, you know, we're getting whacked. And Julie Franco and I did mention to JB, troops are getting pretty tired here and she. <laughs> Uh, you know, nailed us through the ice and said, well, those that want to play for Australia better embrace it and get on with it kind of thing. So we, we soaked that in. When the team was named, it was just in a, a marquee, nobody there, no grand press conference. So the squad is sitting there and as they call out the team, the 10 to contest World Championships for Australia, those names come forward, but you're looking back at teammates either that have missed out or haven't heard their name yet. So it's not a comfortable environment. At the end of that, JB said, OK, I'm going to give you 10 minutes yourself Then I want to see the selected team around the back of the marquee I want to talk to you so go do handstands ring family hug friends whatever so we all did that we go around the back and I remember her saying congratulations she could really nail you she could really just lift you or drag more out of you and she said congratulations you've been named an Australian team so we're all nodding and she said not just an Australian team an Australian team that will def- defend a world championship and go to a- that's fair and you know few and far between we're still nodding you must think you've reached the highlight of career we're nodding she said you must think it's the ultimate and we're nodding and she said well if that's how you feel go back and grab one of the other players that plays your position and send them to me because if you think you've reached it now you're no use to me there is no end point to success Wow. Good story. Carry it with me everywhere. It's just so applicable to everything. And she just could, you know, grab you inside you and turn it around and and produce the best in in you. Um, And I love her for that. That team went away. um, Yeah, pretty young team, I've got to say. And with everybody's well wishes, but not really believing it. The New Zealand team was a marquee team uh, for that event and favoured to win, outstanding favourites. I think when we left the country, we we left out of Melbourne and my parents to surprise me drove from Sydney to Melbourne to say goodbye and to wish us well and I remember you know a lovely surprise giving them a hug and then we were told oh there's a press conference in blah to blah room so we said oh sorry we've got to go to the press conference there was us and a few sad looking plates of sandwiches you know really no interest at that time so off we went and you know it wasn't glamorous we were staying in university accommodation I got food poisoning halfway through it Joyce held my head up all through a night so that I could be sick and recover again so no glamour points to it we go down in the dark and crawl under a bit of wire netting to get a bit of a run in before it got too hot and before other teams saw us and she would always say put put your mind over the pain put your mind over it let's get on with this the other part of the story and I use it in commentary all the time and box laugh at me and they like the line I remember from the start of that game leaving we'd win it from the first center pass it just felt like we were connected I felt the electricity and my expression was I felt like we were connected by invisible thread and yes it was close and it was hard and we of course after the game boasted we'd won by no you know 
a greater margin than any other team because it was a five-goal margin. But I just knew that this group, not expected to win, just had a belief, you know, that sister-in-arms mentality that Mm. Elisa Alexander would talk about. And, yeah, I could watch the game, albeit, you know, it looks like it's in black and white over and over. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's leadership I want to get to with Anne as well. And I guess the modernisation or the development, the evolution of the game of netball itself. We'll uh, be back with those topics some more with Ann Sargent right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. They're a family-owned business since 1934. And we've had the company today of a legend of Australian netball and Australian sport in Anne Sargent. And the, the captaincy, I guess leadership more broadly, you captain the country, as we said, for half a dozen years off the top. And a, and a lot of what you do now, I suppose, is based on leading and inspiring others. Um, looking back, w- was this something in 18 you as a kid? I mean, does it all make sense now uh, looking back on your youth? Or is it something you discovered by accident and just happened to be bloody good at? I don't know the answer to that. I I was captain at primary school and vice captain at high school. So I guess I was the sort of kid that tried hard, cared, had a responsible nature in those environments. So I guess it was identified, you know, as a younger child in a school environment. And then I captained a team. So I guess you choose captains for different reasons. Mm. So it probably goes to what people saw in me rather than what I knew. I wasn't trying to craft anything. You know, you're just being yourself. So I guess I cared about teammates. I, I cared about team and I cared about the sport articulate enough. I'm not sure how to answer it. Um, in terms of captaining Australia, you know, I played with great players. Yeah, If you make an Australian team, can I say this, there's probably four that could be captain. Yep. It's not an easy decision for different reasons they could be. You know, some instantly are warriors and commanded, others are communicators. Liz Watson I find quite an unassuming but always doing her role. They come in different fashions so I don't really know how to answer the question. Yeah. I valued the position and I respected the position, so mm. I'm hoping that's what I brought to it. And I guess as that translates to now, in the in the roles that you play as a selector or through you know the academy and whatnot, I'm interested in your thoughts on what motivates young people or young athletes in 2023 and how that may have changed from you know 1983 or 1973. Like, is it a, has it evolved as well over time in, in regards to what triggers you can use for for young players and young athletes? Well, yeah, I think we're in a really different age. I mean, I coach a lot of children in the um, development programs we run and I find from parents too if they don't make it they want to move to another environment to make it that's very different I think we came from a generation where you played for Manly you bled for Manly you played for New South Wales you didn't go around hunting for it but I say that knowing I had a lot of success so maybe there wasn't the need I think nowadays there's a quick fix wanted in a lot of environments I think the most important thing we can instill in children and probably the thing I say most often to parents when they want to ask about things is to protect their love of the game, to not be busy chasing things at the expense of really loving where they are and respecting where they are. And I think that's a really important thing in leadership too, to give them challenging situations, um, but to remind them um, 
of their value as a person first and foremost. I'm fascinated by how how it all you know maybe what you how you could have guided and said to young athletes back in the days what, what you obviously can't do now and, and maybe we're motivated by different things going forward. But um, broadly speaking, the role you played in as well as many of your former teammates and and even those who didn't get on the court but in administration when it comes to netball. You know, we're speaking after, as we said earlier, a, a pay deal was finally struck with the players after a, a long standoff. I guess going back, the challenge of monetizing the game, like the the boardroom doors that needed to be knocked on, the interviews you would have done. How deliberate was the push to get it on TV at the end of the '80s and into the '90s, getting the prime minister to the games, getting people to know the game and monetizing it? Um, you arrived and, and your career, you know, took place at a, at a really interesting stage of that whole transformation, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, so aware of that. And, and realised it at the time. Uh, we were under the leadership of Margaret Putris, who also uh, was elevated as a legend of our game. Absolutely wonderful administrator who had a really great feel for people, a burning desire to develop the sport and knew the importance at the time of knocking on boardroom doors, connecting with politicians, developing the game. So very fortunate. I, I think she had a really significant mark on our game with respect to the things that you're raising. And yeah, I was aware that at the time I had made the Australian team and then later became captain, had to represent us well, had to be articulate, had to be passionate, had to grab somebody that didn't know about us. And I remember being very deliberate in not just pushing the current group, but people needed to know about the ones that came before us, the Mark Caldos, the Chris Burtons, on whose shoulders we stood. You know, the ones that went across to England on a boat and chucked the balls off the back of the boat so they could stop training. (laughs) You know, back in the day. So super aware of that. And I remember doing little bits of, of media and publicity things to get us on you know I remember we dressed one of the radio guys in a netball skirt so we could get front page of a of a paper or back page of the paper to, to connect it to, to radio to connect it to different elements mm. of media took every single sports show that was offered to be able to talk about what we were involved in what we're doing so it was a very deliberate thing it was a very pivotal time for netball because there's a lot of impetus and I, as I said a lot of that goes down to Margaret Putris and then it came down to players recognising that this is a moment and you know we've since then, you know, and this year is another moment. It's been another moment like that. We've had those moments across time, and we're really lucky that we've got intelligent, articulate, driven players who take that responsibility as well. My observation looks obviously strictly as an outsider looking in is that Nepal's really good at that, you know, celebrating and pumping up the current generation, but also acknowledging those who have gone before. The, the, and trailblazers is an almost an, an oft used term, but those who have set the path for those to then follow and for their nose to then follow, and it'll continue to happen, I'm sure. It's been an interesting year or two, I think, too, in sport. And I'm not sure how to even say this or for you to answer it. But I'm also aware that the thing that made netball set it apart was that it was a female sport. Grassroots, grandmother, mother, child, all involved across their whole lives, developing the club, the area. A sport that was of women, for women, and hugely successful. Largest in the country. Hugely successful, huge population of player. The thing that has always made it, you know, single and outstanding is different nowadays. We're in a different climate. So I think that's a challenge for our game. Mm. Obviously that we want it open to everybody. But what was probably our banner is no longer the banner. It's got to be recognised, but it's transitioned. And I find that even saying netball has X number of world champions, it's like people get used to it. But in this era of sport, winning a world championship in netball is phenomenally difficult. The one they've just recently run, hugely difficult. So I think we've got new challenges as we move forward. 
And Sergeant, so good to catch up. I mean, I marvel at your energy, your willingness to throw yourself into just about anything. Your on-court career, to state the obvious, was amazing, but your off-court career is just as impressive, and there's no doubt it's helped pave the way for so many others to follow and continues to do so as well. So well done on everything you're doing, and we appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, tobinbrothers.com.au, and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.